eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday, April 1st, the year of our Lord, 2021. It's no joke. Tired of it already. I was tired of it by 10 a.m. We're just going to do a show tonight. There's going to be no Easter egg, figuratively or literally, within the show tonight. No jokes, no anything. Except for my co-host, who's still here, as you can see. You can't see it on podcast. Trust me, you don't want to. Our um, our pal Sam Batesh, by the way, up in Stamford, uh, just suggested that I put a smiley face on him. And if I would have found a Sharpie in plenty enough time today, I probably would have. But we've got a jam-packed show nonetheless tonight. And I want to mention, something happened about an hour ago, that happens once every, oh, I don't know, four or five months to me, I so badly misread the room, badly misread the audience, that I assume something that apparently most of you don't assume. So I'm going to detail that in just a second, because I didn't really know we were going to be talking about it, but we're going to be talking about it. So the SEC West balance of power, that's kind of what it has to do with, not at the top, but right below Alabama, or maybe distantly below Alabama, how does it shake out? I assumed everyone was going to be in unison as to who number two was. You're not. By any stretch of the imagination, you're not. So we're, we'll discuss that. The the push, as I kind of start to feel it, for real spring games, we've at least got head coaches talking about it now. We've spoken about it at length many times on Late Kick, even back when I was independent. We're pushing for it again tonight. You know, we, we got to use our power for good around here, not evil. So we're going to push for real spring games. Also, speaking of spring, a lot of intel, a lot of whispers, a lot going on. Camps all across the country. Some have yet to open. Most have opened. Some are approaching spring games already. So we're going to give you from several different programs what we're hearing tonight. And also, Justin Fields. What a treasure Justin Fields is for two reasons, among many. He's fun to watch. But he's exposing a lot of fraud right now. So he was partly responsible for getting the Big Ten season to happen. And now he's exposing a lot of fraud. And it's always important to expose fraud. So we're going to talk about that before the show goes off the air. We are marching ever closer to 2,000 on Instagram. Remember, every 1,000 that we hit over there, at Late Kick Josh, we are going to do another Late Kick Show Owners Association meeting. I think we're on track probably by this weekend or early next week to be lining another one of those up. we got some good ideas for this next one. So get us there. We'll open up the lottery. We'll take 20 or 30 of you, and then we'll line it up. It's, it's Q&A. It's very interactive. But we're going to do it even better this time than we did last time. So... Uh, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram, I've been over the past few days going through the iJosh and finding all this behind-the-scenes footage I've shot at games. Remember back when we used to be able to go and stand on the sideline with no mask on and go up the tunnel and go in the locker rooms? I've been putting a lot of that video out there. Um, questionable graphics on there because I've been editing it myself, so take that as you will. But I've been putting a lot of that on there because the two things you guys always ask for, one is access 
and the other is information. So that's what we try and stack the show with, access and information, maybe a little bit of entertainment, maybe some comedy. Most of the time we accidentally run into it, but that's on Instagram right now. So at Late Kick Josh, follow me there. I'm done begging you again. Let's dive into the show. Everyone wants change. People talk about change all the time. College football, no different. Everyone always talks about what we need to change. Do we need to change the playoff? Do we need to change the structure of it? Do we need to change the criteria that it takes to get into the playoff? Do we need to change NIL? How about scheduling? Should we change how many teams you can play from here and how many how many Power 5 versus G5 versus FCS teams you can play? And sometimes it's like running into a brick wall because you can never get agreement or even large consensus on some of these issues. But I've got one that I've thought for a while. You and I agree on, at least to like a 90% degree, we agree on it. I've found no coaches who push back on it hard. And yet, for some reason, college football just hasn't done it. And what it is, is replacing the classical inter-squad spring scrimmage format, the spring game as we know it right now, with a real game, with another team coming into town. Are you going there? Are you meeting in a neutral site? And you playing a real spring game. Everybody wins. Nobody loses. I've never understood why there's not a bigger push for it. Well, we can only do so much here. We can only do so much tweeting it out or talking about it behind a microphone. But you know what Mike Gundy did? He got asked about it. And he pretended like he wasn't prepared to answer it. But we're going to play this out for you in just a second. I'll let you be the judge as to whether this guy sounds like he's thought this through or not. But we'll roll it. And then I want you to listen to what he says and listen to his reasoning. Because he's going to give you his reasons why he supports the idea. I'm going to give you like four or five other ones. And all the while, I want you to listen to this and try and find me the reasons against, because these are all going to be pros. Try and list the cons, why we shouldn't do this. Here's Mike Gundy. We'll talk about it on the other side. Yeah, I mean, it would be good for us to scrimmage uh, Arkansas. Uh, you got Nebraska, you got A&M. There's teams around that would be good to have a spring game, spring scrimmage, um, where you would do like the NFL, do some inside, do some seven on do some team, um, I would be for that just from a number standpoint. So what happens is when we get into the spring game, on most years we don't have enough depth to have a real good spring game. So the reason we haven't had one in a while is because I think it's not favorable for the fans because we don't have enough depth and then you can't function. If you were to play a, a, a game against Arkansas or Nebraska or A&M or somebody and practice game, you could get really quality work. So I would be for that in just short notice without thinking through it. I'm looking around. Who's against this idea? How many of you came up with any kind of con? So Mike Gundy is sitting there essentially giving you all the reasons. And his reasons were basically it would help us to structure a real game. I had someone listen to that soundbite earlier today. I put it out on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh, by the way. And I heard someone push back and they said, what does he mean he doesn't have enough depth? Don't you have like between 85 and 120 players available in spring? Well, yeah. I mean, if we were just talking about getting 22 players on the field at a time, no, that's not a struggle. But you never know what your depth situations are at various positions. It could be that you have a lot of interior linemen who have just exited due to graduation or the draft. And maybe you don't have your new guys coming in as early enrollees. And so maybe you're just thin at right guard and you only have really one guy who you trust to play there. Why in the world are you going to set up a scrimmage? And that's not even to mention, I don't know, you may want to rotate guys and you may want to get some depth provided to you there and like establish some depth. That's the kind of depth he's talking about. Okay, so let's let's think ahead a little bit. Let's not boil it down to just can he get 22 on the field or not. He mentioned that. 
But I want to ask you, because I got several other really good reasons why I think this should happen. What are the cons? The whole time, I want you to think about what are the cons here. Here are the reasons that I came up with. I think about it, firstly, since everyone wants to talk about this these days, from a television standpoint. Imagine the salivation amongst executives at ESPN, CBS, Fox, etc. at the idea of an entire shelf full of new spring inventory. Not just spring games. I know they already put them on TV, but they're not appointment television. You watching Arkansas Red versus Arkansas White is not appointment television outside of Fayetteville and the surrounding area. But if you knew Arkansas, for instance, let's take Mike Gundy's example there. If you knew Arkansas was facing Oklahoma State, even though it's not going to count in the standings, even though it probably would be unwise to bet on it because maybe the formatting is going to be different, you're watching it. You know it's on April 16th, and you're planning ahead for two weeks. You may be going there. You probably charge a little bit to get in the game at that point and make some gate revenue. That alone, if you're just in the TV world, if you're just in the casual fan only coming to the TV for appointment television viewing world, that makes sense. Also, from a player standpoint, think about the difference. What does every player say when it comes to fall camp? And week one is approaching. What are they talking about? I'm looking so forward to week one because we finally get to hit someone other than ourselves. We got a light at the end of a tunnel. In, in spring or in fall workouts and in summer workouts, week one, that's the payoff. That's the payoff. How about putting one at the end of spring? You got winter workouts. You got spring practice. What a different finish line that is when you know you're going to line up against someone unfamiliar. You get to play someone with different jersey colors. Like That would be very, very fun. It's a challenge for your coaching staff. You as a head coach at any given year could have one, two, or six new coaches. You get to put them in a true game day environment that you you know as well as I do can't fully simulate in practice. Try as you might. You can't fully simulate it. Fans get a much better event here. Get a way better event. You're looking for reasons. If you claim you're trying to grow the game, if you claim you're trying to give fans what they want, give them what they want here. No fans turning this down. There's not a fan I've talked to on planet Earth who'd say, nah, I don't want to see more high-level football being played. No, nah, I'm kind of not interested in that. I'd like for them to keep it behind the curtain. Also, you kill a couple more birds with one stone here. In the Southeastern Conference, for example, there has been a big cry for a long time. Not for me, necessarily. I've always been able to justify it. Of course I have. But some of you outside the SEC have always criticized people in that conference for scheduling FCS teams, right? You, you watch Texas A&M, and for some of you, even though they may have Clemson on the schedule, as well as Georgia and LSU and Alabama, if they schedule Lamar, then it's time to whack-a-mole Texas A&M for scheduling an FCS program. Well, how about this? How about you kill both birds with one stone? Because here's the cry. If those teams can't schedule the FCS teams, the FCS teams can't get their million-dollar payday. And if the FCS teams can't get their million-dollar payday, then how can they survive? Well, why don't you just move it to the spring? Why don't you move Texas Texas A&M rather, versus Lamar to April 18th on a random Saturday in the middle of spring? That's your spring game. You get a TV partner on board, ESPN, whoever it would be, SEC Network. They fit the bill. They pay the freight. Lamar's not going to have to pay their own dime to come there. They're going to cash a paycheck for coming there. A&M's got TV revenue as well as gate receipts to more than make up for it. And you get an experience. You get a tent pole event right there in the middle of spring. So you get the FCS payday, you get the exposure, you get the TV product, you also get the experience for your players, the FCS players get their experience, and then you don't have to put it on your fall schedule. So everyone's happy, right? Apparently not, because no one agrees on anything, or everyone can't agree on anything. That's just the way of the world these days, and 
pretty much always has been. So, I mean, I put down a sixth point. Imagine how good it would be for us. I mean, I'd love it selfishly in the spring if we could be talking about games that are actually coming up. But I also support making this optional. So if there is, uh, for some reason, a sizable portion of, let's say, I don't know, the the Kentucky administration, just pulling a team out of thin air, that is not on board with this, well, they don't have to do it. Go find your dance partner, whether it's the Power 5 level, the G5 level, or the FCS level. Go find your dance partner. I would prefer the FCS level just because of reasons I just listed. And then find a dance floor. Find a neutral site if you want to, or find a home-and-home situation but make it optional. And so if someone wants to push back on it, they don't have to do it. But I would just love for the conferences to be able to open this up. And for anyone out there who tries to use this excuse, well, it's tougher than it looks. No, it's not. No, it's not. Brigham Young and Coastal Carolina got an actual football game off the ground in the span of about 72 hours this past year. This past year, 2020, showed you a lot of the stuff that you were told is impossible is possible and really always was possible. You just had to have an extreme set of circumstances to prove it. And so, yes, of course, this could happen. Conferences could open the door. Conferences could loosen restrictions. They could allow this case-by-case basis, individual choice, whatever you want to call it. But I got a few pushbacks on this because I asked people, what are the pushbacks? What are the cons? What are the reasons against? And I didn't get any good reasons. I, I wrote the three down that I got. So I got one, which is coaches don't want to show anything in the spring. The second is Well, imagine if a team that is supposed to be favored in a spring game ends up struggling or maybe even losing to an FCS team. Could a coach be fired after a spring game? Point number three, what if kids get injured? So those were the best that you guys could come up with. Point one, you don't want to show anything in the spring? Fine. Don't schedule a spring game. Just don't keep other people from doing it. Point number two, if your ice under your blades is already thin enough and your blades are already hot enough where you struggling in a spring game is enough to push you over the cliff. You were already falling anyway. And number three injury. Has anyone checked Georgia lately? Georgia people are waking up one eye before they put their contacts in in Athens right now, checking their iPhone every morning to make sure they haven't lost another receiver. Injuries happen regardless. Non-contact injuries are happening. Injuries part of the game. Point being, there is nothing that isn't already part of football or isn't just tied to the selfishness of the betterment of a coach that was listed among the cons here. So if we're talking about what's best for fans and best for the game, my point is there is no reason not to do this. Make real spring games happen. Just make it happen. Let's move on. Let's talk about some some matters in the SEC West. So you see what I'm doing here? Sometimes if I have nervous energy, I pull up my cuticles a little bit. Something happened earlier. I didn't think it was going to happen. Let me pull up Twitter as I transition to this. So right now, about an hour ago, I was formulating this this topic, this segment, and I went to Twitter. This normally is an afterthought. I just want to affirm that my suspicion is correct. Okay, so I go there and I say, who do you think is the number three program in the SEC West? And I put LSU, Auburn, Arkansas, Ole Miss. And here was the assumption. I assume Bama's number one. Now that one is safe. But then I assumed most people are looking at A&M right now. It's important to note right now and moving forward, not over the past three years, right now and moving forward. And even as I say that, someone's still going to mishear what I'm saying. Right now, moving forward, I figured everyone thought A&M was the second best program in the uh, conference or in the division, rather. That is apparently not so because I've gotten a ton of pushback on this. So Bama, I've got number one. I'm going to make the case for A&M in a second. But here's what happened. 
I misread the room. Because it's not one or two of you pushing back on this. Dozens and dozens of you are pushing back. And I know good and well they're not all LSU fans, maybe most of them, but not all LSU fans. So this stuff doesn't guarantee anything. But here is the premise. And again, I want to state this clearly. You may think I'm talking slow unnecessarily. I'm not. Because as sure as I state the premise here, it's going to be misrepresented. I don't care about 2019. I don't care about 2020. If this was a trophy case presentation, LSU certainly would be listed above A&M. 2021, 22, 23, 24, moving forward. The program right at this moment in time and moving forward, down the line, forward, which programs are set up better? That's it. That's all. Okay? So, jockeying beneath Alabama is fascinating. Has been for several years there. But I would, I would contend right now Alabama is as good as they've ever been under Nick Saban. So this is certainly an uphill battle for anyone. But the first thing I thought to do, I thought we were going to be building this entire segment on, if we were to look maybe two years down the road, well, this could be a knife fight. If I were to challenge you to think about 2023, how's this going to stack up in 2023? You could make the case Arkansas will be number two. You can make the case Auburn. LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, I guess someone could probably make a case for Mississippi State being number two. That's down the road. That's what I thought we were going to be talking about. But now that I see there's so much pushback and so many people out there believe LSU is still the number two program in the West, I've asked for reasons. Like I've, I've gotten some feedback. I just, I think people are misunderstanding what I'm trying to say here. I'm not trying to say well, 2019 must not have happened. Yeah, it happened, man. I was on the field. I, I just put footage of it up the other day. We play it all the time. I don't forget about 2019. I'm talking about moving forward. So to me, this is my opinion. Of course, it's my show. A&M's the clear number two. This wasn't close for me. It wasn't particularly close. Could it change next year? Of course it could. Because this time, last year, I was saying this about LSU. I thought they were a clear number two. So certainly this could change year to year. But right now, I don't get the argument. So here's my argument for A&M. You can go in the comment section if you want to and push back on this. They've taken the number two spot because of, first and foremost, stability. They've got stability. They've got proven leadership there. Uh, I don't have that at LSU right now. It's, there's a lot of volatility at LSU. They've got stability at Texas A&M. There's a lot of volatility at LSU. So any of the other edges are really minute compared to that huge edge for Texas A&M because recruiting A&M has improved year over year. They're very comparable to LSU now. Roster is improving year over year. They're very comparable to LSU. That second point there, some would argue with, that's fine. We could debate who's got the better roster. That's fine. That's that's an adequate debate. But I keep on looking at this, and I'm saying, where's the argument at? That stability goes a long way, guys. Understanding and having a proven commodity at head coach long term, that's a real thing to me. So that's why I put A&M at number two. A lot of you push back on that, but... Three, four, five is where it gets muddy to me. Now, now I'll put LSU number three. I don't have a problem with that. And then four and five, we start really getting into the weeds of how much do we believe in Sam Pittman and Arkansas was the 2020 season, just a small preview of things to come. Is the critical mass of buy-in and culture there? Is it enough to overcome roster limitations relative to some of the other teams they play? That's really the more fun argument to me. But yeah, I'll put LSU as number three. They could rectify everything this year. All these new hires could pay off, and we could look back at 2020, and I may end up saying about LSU's 2020 the same thing I'm saying right now, or at least I think, about Penn State's 2020. Maybe. I, this, the, the, end, the volatility down there worries me. That's all I'll say about that. So 
there is still a really good roster there, exceptional roster. There's still exceptional recruiting there. There are a lot of ways that LSU could erase everything and change what's coming out of my mouth. I got Arkansas at number four. I put them above Auburn. I put them above Ole Miss. I got Arkansas at number four because I trust the culture there. I, I trust the stability there. But there's this entire over-the-cliff mentality about Arkansas. You don't find this at very many places. There is There are some instances where a guy that wouldn't make sense for many other programs you find the program that he makes sense for. It's, a, it's like puzzle pieces coming together. That puzzle piece wouldn't fit anywhere else on this board, but Fayetteville, Arkansas, that's where Sam Pittman fits. And so when you get that, there are these intangibles that just start manifesting themselves, and you get this sum of the parts greater than the individual pieces kind of result week after week after week. And there's this energy that you could see sort of forming around Arkansas. You felt it last year, and then they got robbed of a game, then they kept it on the rails. Could that continue to increase year over year? I'm willing to bet yes. I'm willing to believe in that enough to where I'll go Arkansas number four. And I don't think they're going to struggle in recruiting like the last staff did. I I got some stuff for you, by the way, on Arkansas's inability to recruit that will blow your mind. A stat Trey Biddy put up on hogsports.com either today or yesterday. Crazy. We're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later in the show. But to round it out, I got Arkansas at four. I've got Auburn at five, and that's a new staff there, obviously, so really no clue what to expect. Ole Miss at number six could easily interchange those, could easily do that, could easily put Ole Miss as high as number four, and Mississippi State's my number seven. But you let me know what you think. I don't do these calls to action very often, but I'll be very fascinated to look in the comment section here and see how many people are making and I want to stress this again, logic-based, reasoned conclusions that LSU is currently the number two program still in the SEC West now and moving forward. If anyone wants to prove me wrong, I'll be happy to read it. I just haven't seen it so far. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. How about some spring intel and whispers? We got a lot of them, so I had to narrow it down tonight. Let's waste no time. The Arkansas linebacker situation. This is what I was just referencing like two minutes ago. Fascinating stuff. So, Trey Biddy over on Hogsports.com, who does a really, really good YouTube product in his own right, by the way. He put something up that I had to read like three times to make sure I had read it correctly. He was talking about Arkansas's linebacker situation. They got a lot of young linebackers. They're really hoping pan out like Tanner Morgan's done really good for him. Bumper pool's done really good for him. But now they really need a next wave come through because they really need depth. And then he put this stat up and it's kind of subjective, but it's real. Like he's right about this. He was talking about all of the terrible either evaluations on linebacker recruiting or luck, or or injury and departure, all of this stuff has coalesced 
to create this terrible void, this black hole on Arkansas's roster when it comes to linebacker. How about this little stat? Over the last four years, over well, over a four-year span, let me put it that way, Arkansas had one major contributing linebacker come their way via high school recruiting. One, and that's Bumper Pool. One, over the span of foot. Can you imagine going four full recruiting classes and only getting one decent linebacker? Out of that entire crew, for whatever reason, only one of those guys ends up contributing. And you're trying to play in the SEC. You're trying to compete against Alabama and LSU and Texas A&M and Auburn with one linebacker every four years. Predictably, it didn't work out well. So that's why they have a new coaching staff up there one year in now. Keep a close eye on that. There are a lot of young guys. You wouldn't recognize the names right now. But they got a lot of young linebackers. And they got to fill the void. Not only do they need to find some frontline guys, they need to find depth providers. Otherwise, I mean, it's you better score 45 points a game. That's kind of the situation that you'd be in. How about Penn State? Penn State and Tempo. If you've followed the Nittany Lions, if you've listened to James Franklin up there at press availabilities and whatnot, Tempo is a word they've used for a while. They had Moorhead as uh, offensive coordinator. They talked about Tempo. Then they brought in Kirk Soraka. They talked about Tempo. And now they brought in Tom Yorsich. They're talking about Tempo. Here's what was interesting. James Franklin met with the media before a recent practice. It may have been yesterday, I think it was. And he said, I kind of paraphrased it. He said, you know, we've hired offensive coaches in the past who claimed to run Tempo, and then they didn't run Tempo. Now, that is a pretty heavy statement if you really stop and think about it, because where does the blame lie there? I mean, part one is, well, you hired him. You vetted him. Like, how in the world did you did you misunderstand who you were hiring? But then you have, on the other hand, the fact that, yeah, you could just get flat out lied to, and maybe someone doesn't stick to whatever their track record was. I mean, all you can do is watch what they've done, and if they come your way and you hire them based on what they've done, and then they don't do that thing— then yeah, you could make a move. And to his credit, now he has made some recent moves. So he's not talking that way about his current coordinator. He's talking that way about his past coordinators. But they can't be 70% of anything. We can talk all we want to about Sean Clifford and about, well, we got some some experience returning on the O-line, like wide receiver tied in, maybe, maybe not, running backs loaded. It doesn't matter if they're 70% of something. So they've got questions defensively. We've talked about it at linebacker and safety. They've got questions there which is why they got to be 100% of something offensively, which is what I continue to watch. And it's, again, hard to glean what exactly is happening because you don't get to stand there and watch every rep in practice. And even if we did, I don't know how much we'd really be able to glean from it. But ultimately, what at least we want to be hearing coming out of spring practice is we got some things understood. We laid a foundation that we didn't have a chance to lay last year because, of course, we had no spring. But come fall, all these pieces and all this relative depth at different positions and this experience and hopefully potential at quarterback with Sean Clifford, it's all meaningless. If you're just dabbling, you got, if you're a Penn state fan and you could ask for one thing above anything else, it's just be 100% all in some kind of philosophy. And what James Franklin is saying here is that's what we plan on doing. And it's going to heavily incorporate tempo. Now, the problem there is, as he said, we've said that in the past and it didn't happen. So we hear it all the time. No one ever has a press conference in the spring and say, you know what we're going to do is we're going to really slow it down offensively. Everyone talks about speeding it up offensively. Everyone talks about putting the defense in compromised situations, running more plays, getting more reps, and and putting your skilled players in space to make play. Everyone talks about that stuff. Can you do it? Hopefully with a spring, that makes all the difference in the world here, along with, of course, portions of a new offensive staff. 
Over in Ames, Iowa, my backyard, not where I grew up, but, you know, my rooting interest at least, Iowa State, I want to talk in general terms here. And I'm going to talk about one position group, but general terms. Iowa State has a lot of returning pieces. Okay, as we've noted many times here, we don't always value the returning starter number as this end-all, be-all, definite indication of whether you're going to improve or you know, a, a lack of returning starters automatically means you're going to regress. But sometimes you just are who you are. And sometimes you have a different team dynamic come back. You could return 22 starters. You're not returning the same team. So all kinds of things could change over the course of a season. Iowa State's got a really good culture. Like I've, I've got zero concern about any, well, any kind of complacency setting. They didn't win anything of note to be complacent. They, I mean, they, they went to the Fiesta Bowl, of course. Like that's, that's, that's nice. That's really good to win that. But they didn't win the Big 12. They certainly didn't go to the college football playoff. All the big goals there are, are still in front of them. So complacency, I don't worry about that. But what I'm very curious about is when we, when we enter preview magazine season, you know this is coming. Preview magazine season is going to come around and someone's going to try and sell you on the concept that because a lot of these pieces return, Iowa State automatically gets 12% better than they were last year. Just because if you come back, that automatically means you're a little bit better of a player. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. What if you're so good at developing guys that by the third or fourth year in your program, you've maxed out your potential? I don't know. So my point is, Iowa State was good enough last year. If they would have started faster, which I'll address in a second, uh, they could have gone undefeated in the regular season for all we know and gone into the Big 12 championship game with, with some room to stretch a little bit. Having said that, there's one area that gives me a little confidence here. Because remember last year, they started with a week one loss to Louisiana. Do you realize Louisiana opens with Texas in week one this year, by the way? Just keep that in mind. Just a little side note, Texas outside your mind. Texas opens this year. I've gone horribly off point. Texas, in all their infinite wisdom out there, they scheduled Louisiana and Arkansas weeks one and weeks two. I appreciate it. I don't necessarily know if Sark's going to appreciate it. Anyway, back on track here. Iowa State, when they opened last year, uh, their 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 wide receiver core was not up to par. There was there was not the in sync synergy, whatever you want to use. It wasn't there, and they could not make plays at critical times in that first game against Louisiana, and they lost because of that. They are night and day different at that position. I think this upcoming year, they got a lot of talent, a lot of experience returning, and you got the same quarterback there, obviously in Purdy. So hopefully, there is a lot more clicking going on from the start as opposed to having to wait until like week six or week seven for that to happen. And lastly, but not least, Georgia defensively. You know, they got probably their most losable game. The Florida game notwithstanding. Who knows what, what either team's going to be, to be honest with you, by that point in the year. But Georgia opens against Clemson this year. And so they are going to play that game in Charlotte. And Georgia's got one of those green talent issues right now. They got all the talent in the world. Like They've got four or five-star guys everywhere in their secondary Hardly any of them played any kind of meaningful football for him, though. And so you listen to names like Keely Ringo and Jalen Kimber. And, you know, I was reading Jake Rose stuff over on the Dogs 24-7 message board. Like, they've got really good things to say about Jalen Kimber. They got pretty good things to say about Keely Ringo. But every one of them has this little caveat. Buddy's still got a long way to go. Buddy needs to keep improving. Buddy's still got to carve out the mental edge that he needs to be able to be trusted on the field. Well, here's what that really means. What it means is they're going to have to be pretty basic early in the year. And this isn't the first time Kirby Smart's dealt with this, probably even at Georgia. But I remember when he was the defensive coordinator back at Bama, when they had their worst year in 2010, it was eerily similar 
to what he's dealing with right now at Georgia. They had a whole bunch of talents like Drake Kirkpatrick when that crew started for Bama, but they were all freshmen. They were all first year starters. They had problems and they got lit up by the likes of Steven Garcia, for example. Remember that? Remember that year? And so they had all the talent in the world. Like a lot of the guys who were on the field getting torched by Steven Garcia ended up being first round, second round draft picks. Didn't matter because it was baptism by fire. And I wonder how far along Georgia can get this secondary by the time they, well, they arrived to week one because they're playing Clemson. It's not, they're not like Auburn. Auburn's got a couple of tune-up games before they go to Penn State. Side note, Auburn plays at Penn State this year. Georgia doesn't have that. They play in week one. Now, luckily, Clemson is not without a load of questions on their own right. But yeah, Jalen Kimber, Keely Ringo, like all these names, everyone's going to count on up there. It's, it's great if we're talking about projecting week six and week seven. Week one, I don't know. And to be honest with you, I don't think that coaching staff is going to have any kind of firm grasp on what to expect. I mean, guys can completely go deer in headlights. You can think you have secondary figured out in practice. And then when it's 10 minutes, 37 seconds to go in the first quarter of game one, week one, and you've already given up three passes of 20 plus yards, everything goes blank. Like you've seen it happen a million times. Let's just hope it doesn't happen with Georgia. All right. I want to wrap up with this. Justin Fields is doing a lot of public service for you, and you don't realize it. I don't care if you're a Michigan fan. I don't care if you're a Georgia fan or anything in between. Justin Fields is performing public service for all of us. The first bit of public service that he performed, and this is the Ohio State quarterback, if you're unfamiliar somehow, the first bit of public service that Justin Fields performed for all of us this year was he was very vocal about getting the college football season started. He stepped up, like Trevor Lawrence stepped up, a lot of players stepped up, but when the Big Ten announced they were closing up shop, they didn't announce, we're going to think about it or we're going to form an exploratory committee. They said, we're done. And, and by the way, Kevin Warren and company said, we will not revisit this issue about a month before they revisited the issue. So Justin Fields immediately comes to the forefront and it's important for him to speak up because he's the biggest player voice in the conference and he was adamant. In saying things along the lines of, well, you say you're doing this for the players. I'm a player. I speak for many of them. We want to play. Let us play. And so they end up playing. So that was good because he exposed a lot of frauds, to be blatantly honest with you, in the Big Ten front office when he did that. And now he's exposing a lot more fraud. I'm not going to go as far as to call the people he's exposing frauds like I did with the Big Ten. But I will say there's a lot of fraud out there. It is, we're in the Masters season right now. It's April. Everyone around CBS is excited because we got the Masters coming up. Well, there's another tradition unlike any other. It's just not trademarked or copyrighted for obvious reasons. But there's another one this time of year. You've observed it. I've observed it. We've all observed it. The draft types, as I like to call them, the mock community. Mock drafts all over the place. The mock community comes out of whatever basement they've been hibernating in for about 11 and a half months, and they start schooling you and I on the players that we've been watching for years. And they start telling you, no, 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 forget everything you thought you knew. Even though we're, in a lot of cases, watching these folks for the first time, we're going to tell you how good they really are. So there's this narrative out there. I detest the word narrative out there that Justin Fields is dropping. You heard this? Justin Fields dropping. Did you see this on fillintheblank.com this morning? Did you see this on fillintheblank network this morning? Latest mock draft, Justin Fields is dropping. Justin Fields is not dropping anywhere. Justin Fields is not dropping any more than the lottery's changing because you had your card filled out and then you erase the six and put a seven. The lottery didn't change. The lottery just is what it's going to be. The little ping pong balls don't care about whether you changed the last number on your card. 
They're just going to be what they are. The draft is just going to be what it's going to be. It doesn't matter if a 22-year-old fresh out of college journalist who puts out a mock draft every Monday because his copy editor tells him to. It doesn't matter if he moved Justin Fields from 9 to 16. It's independent of what's actually going to happen. Justin Fields isn't dropping. It's just there's this little cottage industry of creating this stuff around this time of year. The mock community does not know more than, in many cases, we do. In fact, I would argue the mock community knows far less about Justin Fields than a number of us do who, I don't know, have watched him since he was in high school. You don't have to question what you know about Justin Fields. Nobody who has been around Justin Fields knows him, has watched him play, has coached him, or anything of the like questions his work ethic, his integrity, his character, his mental capacity, his physical capacity. No one questions this stuff. So when you start to hear people cite anonymous sources, always anonymous, and they start questioning that stuff, just ask yourself, who knows more here? Does the mock community know more or do I know more after watching him? We're not talking about a NASA, a former NASA retiree walking in and explaining rocket science to you. Because if you watched Armageddon 15 times, you still probably don't know as much as the retired NASA astronaut. This is not physics or rocket science. This is football. If you've watched Justin Fields, especially closely for three, four, five years or some of these other players, there's no one coming out of their mock draft basement and hasn't even laid eyes on the guy until he probably played Clemson in the semifinal telling you more than you don't already know. So somewhere along the way, the mock community had their voices elevated way too high. And some of you started valuing the opinion of someone who has laid eyes on these players a fraction of the time you have more than your own opinion. And yet here's what happens. When the mock community forms an opinion that flies in the face of a general consensus that the college football community shares, they're batting like 150. They're so far below the Mendoza line, they'd be sent to single A, not even triple A or double A. Here's what I encourage you to do. Keep the receipts. If you own one of these, it has a screenshot feature. If you own, uh-oh, mic's falling. If you own one of these, it has a screenshot feature. Just keep the receipts because here's what's going to happen. The draft is going to happen. And then 2021 and 22 and 23 and 24 is going to happen. And you're going to have those receipts. And Justin Fields is going to make a fool out of a lot of people. Don't let Justin Fields make a fool out of you because you doubted him. If he proves you wrong, make it be because you believed in him. Because if you want the odds on your side, you definitely want to be in the latter camp instead of the former camp. Justin Fields is about to make idiots of a lot of people. The problem is they'll have a microphone in front of their face getting paid to do the exact same thing this time next year. So, hey, it is what it is, as we like to say. Thank you so much for watching. Quick programming note, we will not be here on Easter. That is our trademark holiday. That is our tentpole holiday, the most important one of the year that we celebrate here on Late Kick. So we will not have a Sunday show. We're going to make up for it, though. We're going to have a Tuesday show. And then, as far as I know, Colin, I think we're going to be back on schedule. So normalcy is coming. Don't worry. Normalcy is coming. At Late Kick Josh on Instagram. Probably about to put some more stuff up on there tonight because I got, like, tons of videos that I just want to unload. But I'm going to, I'm going to morphine drip them on there for obvious reasons. So for Director Emeritus Colin, Jesse and company up in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great start to your weekend. Enjoy your Easter weekend. And God bless. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or 
I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 